teens, 18 chairs left to fill. For those of you that uh, may not know, we're putting up a new church building simply because we do have that heart of investing and building the kingdom. Amen. And we see the, the next generation coming and we're excited to pass on the baton and equip them and encourage them. And so um, it was it's super exciting. We're coming up at the end of the year. Each chair represents $1,000. We started with a goal of $300,000, and uh, the new church building is out behind Target. If you haven't checked it out, do check it out. We'll be in there next spring, and 18 chairs left to go. So thank you for your generosity in that. I'm excited to introduce to you our speaker this morning. He's ready with a great word. Uh, Pastor Mike and Rhonda are out enjoying Christmas time with family in Texas. Please welcome Joey Rackstead. All right, am I on? Yes. I'm going to bring that water bottle just in case. You never know when you need some hydration. Amen. All right. Yep, my name is Joey Rackstead. I serve here wherever I am uh, allowed to, and it's a blessing. Um, thank you again to, like Angie said, Mike and Rhonda. Uh, it's always an honor to be able to speak. And I don't take it lightly. And also thank you, Angie, for facilitating. Thank you. Thank the worship team as well. What a blessing it was to worship this morning. They lead us into the presence of the Lord. It's wonderful. Um, so I got a decent-sized message here. So don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. But uh, let's pray and let's jump into it, okay? Holy Spirit, I invite you right now again to speak through me today, that you would be heard, that your message would go forth that you be honored, Lord Jesus. Come have your way. Give us revelation. Give us insights into what you're doing, what you're doing in the world right now. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for the majesty of your presence with us this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So my title, my message, I apologize. I, don't have a, I didn't make a PowerPoint again. So a few visual learners, I apologize. But get your Bibles out, get your journals out, and let's dig in. And since I don't have that PowerPoint, you'll just have to listen even closer and uh, pull those nuggets out. So my title is Deception and Discernment. Um, honestly, we've spoken a lot in the last year around topics on deception. So a lot of the things that are going on in this nation and across the world. And um, I'm, not gonna, I'm trying to try not to repeat any of those things. Um, I'm going to take kind of a, a more wide-angle lens view at some of the topics, some of the deceptions out there in the world. And, of course, I can't cover it all, so uh, bear with me in it. But, but, yeah, Pastor Mike, others, you've all been preaching up a holy storm in the last year, you know, exposing so many important issues, building us up in our faith. Uh, it's been excellent. So uh, my heart today is simply to, for all of us to be prepared to meet our eternal King Jesus at any point. And so the goal, let's tear deception up from the roots, right? Let's let it burn in the light today. And when I step on your toes, uh, it's for your own good, so you can dislike me now and thank me later. So just get that out of the way. Uh, so first, let's look at some of the practical ways deception is affecting our nation and the world. I'm going to run through a few here, okay? These aren't going to be news to you, but we need to talk about them really quick. Abortion. According to Worldometers, 22% of all pregnancies in the USA, excluding miscarriages, end in abortion. There have been an estimated 60-plus million abortions since Roe v. Wade was first passed. Obviously, there's a fight going on that's supernatural, and we need to be praying and standing for the overturning of the satanic Roe v. Wade case in the Supreme Court. Amen. So how many of you know there's a higher court than the Supreme Court of this nation, and the eternal judge... The creator of life has ruled that natural life begins at conception, and he has known you and I before we were ever naturally created. Life is sacred. Abortion is murder. Case closed. Human trafficking. There is obviously evil on the earth. Okay? No excuses here on this one. You could say abortion is just a fetus. It's this and other thing. There's no excuse for this. They're walking, talking humans. When human life is devalued at any point, it breaks my heart. There's a lot of people out there complaining about the effects of slavery from hundreds of years ago and inequality from decades ago. Friends, there's slavery going on right now, today, across this country. Even right over on the interstate next to our perfect little quiet city here, it's going right by us. I don't know if it's coming in here. It's a reality. But instead of fighting that, 
Instead of trying to rescue these people, we'd rather fight a hidden enemy of inequality. Another ruse to keep our eyes from the greater issues going on around us. Wake up. Next, murder rates, lawlessness. Sadly, this isn't anything new, but there's obviously been an increase recently. St. Paul, Paul had a record year of homicides this year with Minneapolis near record uh, with its 91st homicide of the year. Whereas areas like Chicago, they can see 1,000 plus homicides annually. Uh, without getting any other crimes, there's an obvious problem. Uh, people have lost the respect for human life, others' property, and the communities that they live in, and they have devalued their own lives. Right. Next, drug, drug and alcohol addiction. Really quick, there's been a surge of drug relapses, overdoses in the last two years, and it was the perfect storm during COVID for addicts. Extremely sad. Another one, suicide. I shouldn't have to tell you anything about this. There's an epidemic of suicides in the U.S. A spirit of hopelessness, self-hatred, and fear has gripped people, and especially younger people. I went to the funeral of a young man uh, this life, who, or excuse me, this year, who took his life in our community from suicide. And this shouldn't, this shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. It's not for a lack of opportunities in this country. It's not a lack of basic necessities or entertainment or even uh, relationships. It's a lack of truth and it's a lack of hope. And if that's not sad enough, now we have assisted suicides. This is becoming much more widespread. According to Canada's health website, in 2020, there were 7,595 cases of medically assisted deaths reported in Canada. Many of them suffer from some form of disability, medical issues, and whatnot, but not all of them. And an article recently from the Epoch Times from December 13th showed the latest in the assisted suicide medical advancements. It showed a man wearing what looks like a virtual reality headset, and the article states just what the world didn't need, a suicide machine that promises to make users die pleasurably in just 30 seconds. Ready or not, it's here. The Sarko suicide pod has been approved for use in Switzerland. Isn't that wonderful? And if all this isn't bad enough, the enemy says, well, if I can't get them to kill one another or themselves, I will just confuse them and turn them against each other in other ways, right? Really quick, gender confusion, homosexuality. All I'm going to say here is that these are spiritual issues. These poor people have believed and bought into a lie and it is aimed at the core of who they were created to be. And statistically, they're actually one of the groups who are prone to suicide as well. They aren't all happy and fulfilled. They're lost and need freedom, and it's found only in Jesus. Next, divorce. Yes, deception is involved in the lure of divorce, and it is bankrupting families, even in the church. Last time I checked, marriage is a covenant before God, and marriage in the nuclear family is what healthy societies rely upon for strength and stability. And there's no shame if that's part of your story, but... You can all, of, you know, all the more agree that this is not God's plan or design. It is destructive. Amen? Amen? The next topic is a source of deception I want to touch on. It has, many, has had many profound effects on our society. It's the media. Ah, our good friends in Hollywood, right? They want what's best for you and your family. Isn't that right? The truth is they've been programming our families for a long time now to accept sin as normal, right? Adultery is entertainment. Murder is thrilling. Is it accidental? That's my question. Is, and is it just in the name of the almighty dollar? Or are there many in the industry intentionally sabotaging your family's moral fabric for the sake of a greater evil? I have to challenge you, show some discernment for the sake of your family's hearts and minds. Be careful what you allow to persuade and train your children through these screens. And just so you know, I think I've heard it said even here, there has been a stranger allowed into almost every home in America. Unchecked. Are you aware of, of, of who's in your home? Who's speaking into your home? Fathers, are you protecting your homes? No amount of entertainment is worth an eternity. Turn it off and seek Jesus. I said that in love, right? How are everyone's toes so far? Am I stepping on anybody? Okay, I'm just getting going. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, truth may hurt, but it will not harm. Come on. All right, deception, what is it? There is a spirit, okay? There is a spirit, an unclean, lying spirit of deception in the earth right now, and it is on a satanic mission to destroy humanity by any means necessary. If you're like me, you look around at some of the events going on recently and wonder, how can this even be happening, right? Are these people serious? I mean, I wonder if they hate themselves to make such terrible decisions, right? There's no rationale, and there are obvious lies in most of what they say. And after a while, I realized many of them actually believe what they're saying. I was shocked. It's like, well, they actually believe this. They believe it passionately, much more passionately than many Christians profess their faith. And they have chosen rebellion against God, and therefore they've reaped foolishness and a strong delusion in the process. Friends, I'm here to remind you that we are still in a war, 
And we must alert those around us that there is a spiritual war being waged against you and is for your eternal soul. Soul, excuse me. And yes, we are victorious in Christ as believers, but there is also a war to keep you from finding that victory and remaining in Christ's victory. Uh, thinking back as I was pondering this, I thought back to C.S. Lewis's classic writing, The Screwtape Letters. Um, that story takes the form of a series of letters from a senior demon, Screwtape, to his nephew Wormwood, a junior tempter. The uncle's mentorship pertains to the nephew's responsibility in securing the damnation of a British man known only as the patient. A very interesting story. And it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 2.11 where it states, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his devices. Now, I am concerned that many of us are ignorant of his devices. You know, I'd hate to be a fly on the wall of hell, but I am kind of curious what they might be plotting. We have seen some of what hell has done in the past to attempt to keep this glorious gospel from spreading and being fruitful in the lives of men and women and children for the last 20 centuries. And by the way, hell has not succeeded, and it will not succeed. Amen? Amen. But it has come at a great cost. Tertullian said, and you've all heard this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There have been the direct physical attacks to kill believers. We had the early church martyred for their profession of faith in Christ. They were beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and treated as the outcasts of society. Whether it was the religious leaders of their day or the government authorities persecuting them for their faith. And many are still persecuted and martyred today in other nations. But we in America, right, we've had a different experience in other, other first world countries as well. And we haven't experienced that kind of persecution. So I have to wonder, what's the enemy's tactics? What have they been against us? You know, perhaps he's used more subversive tactics. And one method I believe the enemy has used is this. If you can't beat them, join them. As scripture tells us, he masquerades as an angel of light. Speaking of Satan. Now, this deception is aimed to destroy the gospel by perverting the gospel. Okay, this area of, area of deception has injured the Christian message and image and has come by agency of the enemy through the religious Christian machine, carrying his name while void of his spirit. They became a power-hungry, hypocritical system used to manipulate and control people's lives and produce a people, a Christian people, they look no more alive than anyone else, dead in sin, void of faith, and self-serving. Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 2.19, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And people have been repelled by this religious spirit, obviously. You know, the hypocrisy and the abuse of power, and rightly so. But in so doing, many never seek God again, because the religious system has used his name in vain and laid stumbling blocks for all. So the lost reject them both as one and the same. Friends, God is not bound by men's religious systems, and they do not own him. They do not have more rights or access to God than anyone else. The lost often won't approach a church because of the offense from those they believe represented God. And if you were offended by religion in the past, I, I ask for your forgiveness on their behalf. Don't let them stand in the way of your relationship with God. And the blind are still leading the blind today and setting roadblocks between them and the truth. So be careful who you put your trust in. Know the fruit of their lives lived over time. And that is why we must become the true ambassadors of Jesus, representing him in purity and by his spirit. This quote always comes back to me. It's by Leonard Ravenhill. He said, The world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. It's waiting for a new demonstration of Christianity. A second major deception is that there are many ways to God. Uh, one time I was out uh, sharing the gospel, and I was in a mall, and uh, I met this Muslim man whose name was Abraham, as he said it. And uh, he was a cell phone repairman or something like that in the mall. And so we got a conversation going, talked about faith, and you know, ultimately I shared my faith. He said, yes, we love the Jesus. We love the Jesus, right? Because they believe he was a great prophet. Uh, but I countered him with, but sir, that is not who Jesus claimed to be. Was he lying? I told him that Jesus didn't leave it up to interpretation. But ultimately, our conversation ended with a stalemate, and I asked to pray with him, and I prayed that Jesus would reveal himself as the risen Son of God and Savior to Abraham in a dream in Jesus' name. I don't know the outcome of that conversation in prayer, but I do pray that the Lord would send another laborer, if necessary, in this man's path, even now, to water that seed. But that's the point. There's many ways to God, right? We believe in Jesus, the Jesus. We love the Jesus. Who is Jesus? Do they know? 
And that's the reality of the world we live in. There's many religions, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Taoism, Judaism, Confucianism, Bahi, Shinto, Jainism, Zoroastrianism, to name a few. Um, and I've heard it said that there are actually only two religions, gods and mans. And then there's also cults, okay? Uh, there are claims that there are anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 cults alive in the U.S. now, depending upon your exact definition. And also within the U.S., this one stands out, it says that there is upwards of 200 different so-called Christian denominations. And to clarify, I don't believe all the past church splits and separatist movements were wrong, because many, many who truly desired to worship God had to separate themselves and did so to escape deception. If you're being deceived, it's time to leave. And someone said, a church alive is worth the drive. All right. Um, but that's still a lot of divisions and disagreement in Christianity, right? And the reality is that everyone cannot be right. A house divided cannot stand. If you believe that God's plan for his true church is to be that divided, then I'll have to disagree with you. But hear me, he does have a remnant people left on this earth, and they are zealous lovers of God and will be as burning torches in this and coming generations, ushering in the greatest harvest. And I speak that over you, in Jesus' name, a remnant people. Uh, next, there are those who claim to not believe in God at all. They're not religious. Well, they basically create a religion of their own based on the non-existence of the God that they live to refute. It's an interesting uh, methodology there. Hence, atheism. As Britannica.com describes it, generally atheism is a, a denial of God or of the gods, and if religion is defined in terms of belief in spiritual beings, then atheism is the rejection of all religious belief. That's one example. And FYI, an, an ism is a suffix added to the end of a word to, to indicate, excuse me, that the word represents a specific practice, a system, or a philosophy. There are hundreds of other isms out there in the world today, from humanism all the way down to Satanism and its divisions. In John 8, 44, Jesus spoke these words to the Jews in his day who ultimately sought to kill him. He said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And sadly, many today in these other religions and isms are partnering with Satan and have no clue. Uh, they just call themselves by other titles. They even believe that they want what's best for the world. Truly, they believe that but they produce the same rotten fruit and have the same destination. I love Pastor Mike's uh, statement, and I've heard it here many times, regarding deception. Does anyone know it? The thing about deception is it's deceiving. That's right. Okay, it's deceiving. You just don't know. You think you're in the right place. You think you're doing the right things. How do we find out? How do we discern the difference here? Uh, a third great deception out there today, I've got to hit this one, ecumenism. It is defined as the principle or aim of promoting unity among the world's Christian churches. Okay, it sounds good, right? It sounds really good. The wording is right, but if you look closer, the motive and the outcome are concerning. If you pay attention to this kind of false unity of acceptance, it is leading to a one-world religion. Go do your homework and then try to disagree with me on this one. Some of the members of this movement already have a multi-religious site being constructed in Abu Dhabi, the Abrahamic House with an Islamic mosque, a Jewish synagogue and a, synagogue, and a Catholic church. Their goal? Peaceful coexistence and human fraternity. I liken it to the all rivers lead to the same ocean mentality, and it is at best a glorified humanistic approach to spirituality. Human fraternity at the cost of truth? No, thank you. Part of this deceptive mentality is that world peace is possible. Again, if I'm stepping on toes, it is what it is. Uh, I want peace as much as the next person, probably more than a lot, but I have, to, uh, I have something to tell you about it. There will never be peace in a world where God's established plan of salvation through his son Jesus is rejected, period. There will never be peace where sin is worshipped, innocence is despised and abused, and where power is used to control and destroy. No peace. Peace? It's not possible. Not on man's terms, at least. And what the deceivers out there use with these good-sounding goals, world peace, are your own good desires used to manipulate you into following them. But all they have to offer is a counterfeit and will soon dissolve before our eyes. And don't believe them when they promise inclusion. 
Don't believe them because I guarantee the true gospel message of Jesus will not be allowed to persist in their utopia because it's offensive to them. It's too stringent. It's too defined. It's too clear. And the road's too narrow. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy, easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, thus he says, you will recognize them by your fruits, by their fruits. <clears throat> And he goes on to say, this is Jesus' words. Don't fall asleep when I'm reading the scripture here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Unity, peace. It's a lie, it's a gimmick to manipulate you to give up your faith and accept the Antichrist agenda. There is only one Prince of Peace. His name is Jesus. Scriptures tell us as believers, he himself is our peace. Don't seek peace in the world. It's only in Christ. And just like the popular bumper sticker we've all seen, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. It's still true today. One day there will be new heavens and a new earth. And then there will be peace when the lion lies down with the lamb and the prince of peace reigns. In a similar vein, there's also a catchy new phrase out there these days, and we've all heard it said, uh, I have my own truth. Truth is not subjective. If it was, it wouldn't be truth. It would be left up to chance and and circumstance. Your personal truth is a subjective farce based upon circumstances, selfish desires, and feelings. And if you're honest, you look at it and you'll see it. And honestly, individuals' personal truths aren't personal at all. They've adopted a hodgepodge of beliefs and ways of thinking from a lot of worldly, demonic influences. But people want to feel like they've found something new and they've made their own way. Listen, young people, if you follow the lure of higher learning that boasts higher knowledge and deeper understanding of the meaning of life, or any of the isms of the world offering nirvana and nothingness, or tranquility, or pious laws, and endless little g-gods, or the teaching that you are your own God, model after Satan himself, then you haven't found anything new. Hate to break it to you, the only thing new is that they invent new ways for you to sin and lead you to death. Naturally, deceived people deceive other people. They become a tool in the hands of Satan, and many good people are deceived today. So it was, I don't know, a few years ago, um, I wanted to go to the Douglas County Fair. And basically my goal was to share, share the gospel with people. And I had been there the night prior, and I had uh, noticed a couple vendors that I really wanted to go back and talk to. And I brought Quinn along with me, actually. And um, so we went out there, we prayed for multiple people, had great conversations. And finally, I, I couldn't find these guys, so I wanted to find this, these vendors. And we finally found these vendors around a corner. I'm like, yes, we found them. And... Um, so we went and talked to him, talked to the one guy. He was kind of like the sidekick in the operation. You know, it was a grungy crew. They were selling T-shirts and hats and maybe some not so appropriate. And, um, but we went in there, talked to this one man. Eventually, we prayed for him. He had, he had beat up knees. He couldn't bend down. Uh, prayed for him. He got healed on the spot. But the thing that stood out to me as I was praying for him, he was getting healed. And he's like, yeah, I couldn't do this before. I watched the other man, and, watched, and uh, he, he seemed unfazed. And um, it was very interesting to watch him. So I'm like, I want to talk to this guy. So I began a conversation with him. As we were talking, he would, have, he would have customers come up to him and interrupt us. And then we'd keep going. But he would say things like, Jesus loves you. But it was very strange. I mean, this man was not godly whatsoever. And it just puzzled me. Why are you using Jesus' name? And he used this in such a peculiar, deceptive way and almost as a taunt. And I could see the glaze in his eyes. He seemed to have demonic influence, we'll call it, okay? Uh, he had many influences. When we were speaking with him, there was a mixture of belief all through the conversation. I call it deception. 
He's originally from Africa. He had grown up in Catholicism and other things, and he actually began to study to become a priest in Europe uh, for about a year, if I remember correctly. And he became so disillusioned by the experience, he left. And as we were speaking, he had he brought up things from voodoo, New Age. He wasn't he wouldn't name any of them, but they're all mixed in his belief under a Christian uh, head, head uh, title. Voodoo, spiritism, anim, animism, they're all mixed in to his explanation of God and life. So two hours spent in back-and-forth conversation and debate. You know, he used the Bible as a tool to twist scriptures while ignoring all the scriptures that we countered with. Uh, but we persisted with this man because, or I did, because he was very elusive, and he had a lot of rabbit trails. He tried to avoid everything uh, and avoid the core issue of, is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and the risen Savior and Lord? Is he or not? He would just, he would just be off on some other thing. He'd be talking about spirits and trees. And uh, Satan is the justice system. Quinn remembers this, don't you, Quinn? Oh, my. And, um, but anyways, finally we had to leave because the fair had been closed for a while. And as I was walking away, I made one last attempt. And I remember the whole conversation. He had kept his cool, his composure, totally composed. But he finally showed his true colors when I prodded him one more time. And he replied to me as I was leaving, No, I do not believe that Jesus is God. Was it him speaking or someone else? It doesn't matter. The point is, see, then don't use his name. Don't use his name. But it's, it's deception. It's deception. So friends, this is what creating your own truth leads you into. It's confusion and many forms of evil. And you and I must have the word of God hidden in our hearts so that we are ready to refute every argument, as the Bible says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have to have truth deep down. And many believe the lie that the message of Jesus has changed with our culture. Or the times have changed, so God has changed. And the Bible is old and outdated, and it doesn't apply to me today. But Scripture tells me that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word never changes, and he never changes. And Jesus has not conformed, changed to conform to the culture. And that is a demonic lie. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And he still loves sinners, but despises their sin that destroys them. The word of God is powerful. It is true. But even so, there's still many people who have read the Bible, and they were not compelled to repent from their rebellion against God, right? How? How is it possible? Atheists and beyond, they've read it, said, did nothing for me. Here's the reason. They have hard, unrepentant hearts and seared consciences. In Romans 1, 18 through 32, it describes this very well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know it's there. They suppress it. They drown it out. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's the key. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore... Because of these things, God gave them up <clears throat> in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And the reality is that if you reject God, he will let you. He will let you. He'll give you up to it if you want it. It said in this scripture, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God 
Do you want to be guarded against deception in your life? I have two things I want you to remember. First, fear God. Honor him as holy. Hebrews 12 says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is, not was, our God is a consuming fire. I believe a strong antidote to deception is the fear of the Lord, and more accurately, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Jesus sets the example for this for us in two ways. Prophetically speaking of Jesus in Isaiah, it is written, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And the second defense against deception is this. The first was fear the Lord. The second is this. Know the scriptures, old and new. Know it all. How did Jesus overcome the deceptive twisting of scripture when Satan was tempting him after 40 days in the desert? He replied each time, it is written. Treasure the word of God. It will be a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. Open the pages up again in this new year like never before. I challenge you. Next, I want to highlight a few attitudes of believers uh that are based in deception. Again, there's many more, but I I just wanted to hit these main ones here that were impressed upon me by the Lord. And although you don't exactly hear people say this out loud, you can see it in their lives. This is the statement. I can love Jesus while loving the things of the world. That's called mixture and double-mindedness. Friends, you cannot serve two masters or you will love the one and you'll hate the other. James 4.4 4 says this, not speaking it over you. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, these are the things that he's talking about in the world, okay? I'm going to clarify this. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Luke 11, he who is not with me is against me. This is Jesus speaking. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus removed the middle ground. He took it out. You cannot partner with him in the world. It's for or against. I hope you understand that when I said that, you know, we are called to love the lost. Amen? We're called to love the lost without joining them in their wandering. And to love sinners but despise their sin. So please hear me correctly in that. But we are not to love the unrighteous things of this world. That was the first attitude. The second attitude is this. And this one, you actually will hear people say, trials and persecutions, they're on for today. No, I'm living the abundant life, brother. Amen, amen. Now, I think a lot of us had a, a, a decent shift in our understanding of, of this in the last two years. But let's just, just check scripture really quick on this one, okay? Trials and persecutions aren't for today. Hmm. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Mm, interesting. 1 Peter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I got another one. James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, the abundance is through the trials and the persecutions, because that's where Jesus is. I believe we've decided we can only have joy when our lives are comfortable, and that's deception. Join Jesus in his suffering and his reproach and enter the true blessing and favor and the abundant life. The third attitude rooted in deception is this. Everyone must think well of me. Friends, I encourage you, go out and purpose to love everyone. I challenge you, go out and purpose to love everyone, but never, ever seek to be loved by everyone. I'll say it again. Go out and purpose to love everyone, but never seek to be loved by everyone. If you and I live for the love or the approval or acceptance of everyone, we will be severely disappointed and disillusioned. Understand this, that you and I should live in such a way 
that they have nothing factual to bring against us. We are to be above, a, above reproach. And as much as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone, but we will be persecuted for our faith and mocked for obedience to Jesus. <clears throat> Say this with me. I will not be loved by everyone. Didn't that feel good? It felt great. Okay. In Luke 6, 26, it actually warns us. He says, Woe to you when all speak well of you. Uh-oh. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. And Jesus tells us that if they hated me, they will hate you also. Join Jesus in his suffering. Join him in his reproach. Understand today that you will never be accepted into a system that is anti-Christ. If you are loved by all and accepted by everyone in this world, then you are not living biblically and cannot be. For there is a spirit at work in this world, and it is the Antichrist spirit. And it's not the only spirit. Don't hear me wrong here. The Holy Spirit is working, but I'm talking about this, the, the spirit of this world. And lastly, I want to talk to you about self-deception. So we're going to get a little personal. You know, we can even deceive ourselves. We can lie to ourselves. Many choose deception because it doesn't expose their sin, but it dresses it up as something justifiable and, and acceptable. Because after all, they say, we're all just human. And many use the grace of God as an excuse to not turn from their sin. It's actually called perversion. Brothers and sisters, salvation creates change. True salvation will create transformation in your life. Scripture tells us in Galatians 6, 7-8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And this isn't of time to pacify and coddle our flesh and our sin nature. Sin gives birth to death. And death isn't just something waiting for us at the end of our lives. Okay? Death can manifest while you still live. In relationships and so many other areas, sin creates a void and distance in relationships, and it allows darkness. This is not a time to allow death and darkness in your life, is it? Especially between you and God. So what does the Word of God tell us about the darkness of deception when it's given place in our hearts and we make excuses for sin? Listen to this. It says in the Word, Your eye is a lamp, listen closely, that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. So this is saying that if how we see and how we perceive truth is tainted and perverted by the lens of deception, it becomes darkness in us. And it goes on to say, if the light you think you have, the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Deception. Revelations 22, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes or do his commandments so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. He says, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, deception. Beloved, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. With that in mind, I have one last area of deception that I felt really strongly to present to you. And in the, in the past decades and centuries, you know, people have gone overboard in the past, worrying about and pretending to know the day of the Lord's return. Many have prophesied and predicted falsely. And I believe whether they were sincere or not, uh, their false predictions have been used to confuse believers and unbelievers alike. And it has contributed to a feeling of, well, what, what a waste of time. Why think about it? There's no reason to really think about it because we can't know. His coming, is, it's a long way off. Don't even worry about it. But we are admonished in 1 Peter 3. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. In a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Now regarding Christ's return, you know, Pastor Mike has said it very well many times, we're not to retreat into our underground bunkers in fear and become useless to the world. We are to occupy until his return as salt and light, not stick our heads in the sand and hope it all ends soon. I want to complement that with this thought. With the increase of deception in the world today and lawlessness and the strong delusion that is present, I believe we are nearing the end times. But we don't know exact dates. They could be generations away. We do not know for certain. Jesus said we shouldn't be surprised, though. We shouldn't be caught off guard. We should be able to discern the times we're living in. In Matthew 24, it says this. This is Jesus speaking when he was asked about the end of times. Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then they will deliver you up to, tri to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then when many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Those are Jesus' words. So with that in mind, there's work to be done, saints. And we are here as Church for the Harvest to do our part of that glorious work of declaring the kingdom of God. So don't become afraid or withdrawn, but instead be filled with joyful hope, knowing that the promise of our Savior's return is ever nearer. It's ever nearer. And this is the point I want you to take away from that. Whether he returns today or in the next generation, our level of preparedness in our lives should be the same. What's the difference? There's no secondary level of preparation that exists to live in relationship with the living God. And whether or not you believe you'll see the rapture of the saints, you and I are not promised tomorrow. One of us may meet him much sooner than we think. Be ready. Be ready. Jesus said, this is Jesus' words one more time. Mark 13, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, Jesus said, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is a call to engage and take ownership of our lives, not give up and retreat. Friends, being mindful of his return should not cause you to be disconnected. It should cause you to stretch out your arms to the world and run with the gospel and draw even closer to Jesus in relationship. We can no longer be so consumed with everything outside of our control and not care for the ones within our reach. We must possess our own souls and seek God. Not seek the latest happening in others' lives on social media or the latest world crisis on news outlets. You and I need to take responsibility for our lives and our hearts and our daily walk with Jesus in obedience to him out of love. I've found the times when I've been sold out to seeking his face and his voice that I've been far more informed by the Spirit than news outlets. I've been far more apt to pray for the right things and ten times more likely to reach out and share the gospel with others and minister to them. We must own what is in front of us. Determine what your arena is. What's your calling? Your areas of influence. And bring God glory there. Share him with others in those places. You and I must make this gospel ours personally. Don't let it be your pastors or your parents or your spouses. 
And don't allow the cares of this world to choke out the gospel. Don't fall away when trials come. Press in. Prepare now. Practice now. If you don't exercise your faith now and your authority in Christ, now you'll be too shocked and afraid when the day of trouble or persecution comes to stand and act. You may cower and hide, but I believe for better things for you. Better things concerning you because you are part of an overcoming church, not succumbing to the influence of the world through fear and deception. And I believe that you will be found faithful and be found ready because you will take up your cross and you'll fight the good fight of faith. I speak that over you, Church for the Harvest. Now, in wrapping up, I want to do something a little different just for a minute. I don't want to keep you any longer, but let's take a few moments. Worship team can play something softly. But we're going to take a few moments in silence. I'm not going to talk. I want you all to ask the Holy Spirit, and He is faithful. He will answer you. Ask the Holy Spirit if there's any deception, any wrong thinking in our inner man and women, in our hearts. Take a minute. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, just you. Speak, Holy Spirit. Some of the things the Holy Spirit may have highlighted are intentional things. Some things, you know, it's unknowing. We didn't, we didn't know it. But how many of you had the Holy Spirit highlight something to you? Don't have to raise your hand, but you can. You can be bold. Now I'm going to stretch you just for one more minute. Okay, if you have one more minute, I want you to pray with the person next to you. I want you to pray with the person next to you. Don't leave. Take one minute. Share what you what the Holy Spirit highlighted or not, but pray for one another. Pray for the discernment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Okay? Be bold. Pray for someone now. Go. It's kind of heavy for a Christmas, just after Christmas message, but it's a beautiful message. And I had this poem I wrote. I want you to hear it really quick. It's called Hosanna and Maranatha. Unto us a Savior is given. Have you received him? Unto us a King is born. Have you crowned him, Lord? He so loved us that he gave his one and only Son as an innocent babe. And to purchase us, his spotless lamb was slain. But he is the word from the beginning and in him is life itself. So come close and hear good news to those far and near. He is alive again, victorious over death and sin. And now he's knocking at the door. Will you let him in? The one who is rejected on earth longs to grant you heaven's key. The humble servant, meek and kind, now reigns for all eternity. And for very soon he is coming on the clouds 
and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. But will you be ready when he calls? Come near today, don't delay. He is willing and able to save. So friends, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The scripture goes on and it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So lastly, again, the antidote to deception is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He's come a long way from being that baby in that manger. He has since conquered sin and death and is clothed in glory, his eyes of fire. All of us need to desire and receive the spirit of the fear of the Lord today. So this is your opportunity if you're here today or listening later online. Are you willing to turn from your sin and come to this loving Savior? Are you willing to humble yourself and let the light in? See, he is here to remove the deception from our hearts and give us a soft new heart. And if that's you today, I want to pray with you. This is the first step you can take to come into the Lord. And if you've done it before and the Holy Spirit pricked your heart today, you may have to repent again today and turn back to him. If that's you, pray with me. We can pray corporately. Say this, Jesus, I come before you. I humble myself. I recognize that you are God. I recognize that only you can save me from my sin. So right now I turn away from the world, away from my sin. I renounce them. And I renounce Satan and his works. And I turn to you, Jesus. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. And fill me with your spirit today. I confess you as Lord in the name of Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, we want to connect with you. Don't just make it a prayer and then forget about it and walk away, okay? Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. And with that, I just want to bless you really quickly. Challenge for the new year. Be sober-minded and vigilant. Live lives set apart unto Jesus and care for one another. Be mindful of opportunities in front of you. And I challenge us as a body of believers to contend for the presence of Jesus in our gatherings. The Holy Spirit rests upon unity, humility, and purity. And I'm believing for us as a people in this new year in our new church home to be marked by the pure, refining presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we will stand unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word and live boldly in love and good works. The best is yet to come. Come, Lord Jesus.